Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Today's topic is mental health, and the title of the message is He Cares for You. He Cares for You. And that's hard to believe sometimes when you feel like you're trapped in a cave full of darkness, that God cares about what you're going through. But the starting place of any conversation about mental wellness, about any kind of wellness, is this simple truth. Regardless of what it feels like or seems like, to base your hope on this, that the God we serve cares for us. Mental health has always been important. But the pandemic has brought mental health to the forefront of everyone's attention. According to some some outfits, screenings for anxiety have increased in the last two years by over 400%. And that's that's just unbelievable to me. And of those people doing the screenings, nearly 80% are coming out scoring as moderate to severe anxiety. Anxiety is sharply on the rise right now. A lot of mental health professionals, in fact, I would even wager almost every mental health professional is the busiest they have ever been in all of their careers. I know that to be true because I can't refer to anyone anymore because no one is able to take additional clients. I've never seen the counseling and therapy world this busy. By all accounts, we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg of the mental health impact that the pandemic has had on the world, and many predict that it's going to stay with us for at least a generation. Historically, much of the conversation about mental health took place outside the church, and I grieve that because I think the church dropped the ball. We failed to recognize what an important and godly issue this was, how important mental health and emotional health were to God. The hopeful sign is that more and more churches, ours included, are rising to the call to be part of the conversation and part of the solution to help people regain mental wellness in the face of mental illness and emotional damage. Five years ago, a small team of us, including Dr. Ruger, founded a little group called Pastors and Counselors Together. It brought together networks of pastors and a network of counselors and therapists who are all Christian, And the focus was especially on the Asian-American context because help-seeking and counseling had such a stigma in that particular demographic. And so our goal was to really lower the stigma, increase awareness, and for pastors and therapists to learn from one another, to collaborate. And one of the great things that's happened out of that is that as we've met quarterly to learn from each other, we've, we've come to realize what an important role the church and pastors do have to play but also where the boundaries and limitations are, where we are way beyond our scope and need to hand people over to those who are better equipped to help them finish that journey. And so it's been a really fruitful thing. We have quarterly gatherings. They're at 10 o'clock on, the, on Fridays. But if you are interested in being part of those gatherings and are willing to take a little time away from work, uh, let us know. We will start publicizing them so that you can take advantage of some of those conversations as well. 1 Peter 5.7 is probably a verse many of us have memorized. And here's what it says. Cast all your anxiety 
on him because he cares for you. It's right for the church to be a leading voice in the issue of mental wellness and emotional wellness because we serve the God who invites us to bring to him the things that are weighing and damaging our spirits. And the promise he gives us is not always an instant fix, but he does give us this. He says, I care for you. Even though it's easy to doubt that, it's so important that the the start of any wellness journey begins with this accepted, faith-filled decision. I am turning to a God who's not ambivalent, who's not apathetic about how I am, but he deeply cares about me. And because this God cares, he invites us in our pain to come to him. But I also realize that just like in physical wellness, in any other kind of health, he has given us resources to get us through every single day. Resources that help us maintain some level of health in spite of all the things that are threatening that health all the time in the world around us. These are powerful resources God has given us as his provision for mental health, but they will not guarantee that we can avert every possible calamity. Sometimes this broken world will break us, and in spite of everything we have done well, and in spite of everything God has provided, we will still break. That's just the nature of life in a broken and fallen world. We can try to use everything God's provided to stay well, but we won't always succeed in averting every calamity and every illness in our spirit. And so I want you to hear what I'm about to say, not as a blanket promise, a feel-good thing that says, if you just do these things, nothing will happen to you. Because the truth is, some of us, in spite of every good effort, we've been broken. Broken by other people, broken by ourselves, broken by this world, and that does happen. And I just want to start by saying we fully acknowledge that, and that's why we're engaging in this conversation about mental health with people well-trained to provide the care that we need. And yet these basic resources God's provided are the right place for us to start because they are the provision God's given to get us through the day-to-day in the face of all the things we face. I don't have enough time to be very exhaustive, so I'm going to just go breakneck speed through this. I hope you'll bear with me and realize I'm leaving more unsaid than I'm saying. Um, And so... Obviously, there are going to be gaps in what I say today. Just trust that if you and I sat down for coffee, we could flesh that out a lot better. The first resource God gives us is spiritual community. It's also one of the things that causes pain, but it's one of the great provisions God's given. And if anything has proven why that's so important, it's the last two years. Studies confirm that as much as 25% of the global pop, uh, uh, there's been a 25% global increase in confirmed diagnoses of depression and anxiety all over the world over the last two years. And much of that is rooted or related to the loneliness and isolation of our response to the pandemic. Now, medically, that, that quarantining, that isolation was necessary, but it came with a great cost. As people were cut off from human connection, it had a tremendous toll on the human heart. You know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs says that after your most basic mammalian needs are met for food, water, shelter, and physical safety, once those things are no longer an issue, the next basic human need 
is for social connectedness, for a sense of belonging to other human beings. You don't have to be religious to confirm that human beings were not made to live alone and in isolation. Without community, we we don't flourish. We've always known this is true, but we've never really been able to set up an empirical experiment to prove it because you can't isolate people on purpose just to see how it affects them. That's cruel. And yet for the last two years, we've had a global experiment set up where isolation was imposed on billions of people, not by choice, but because of necessity. And people are tracking how that has affected the human heart. And the effects have been devastating. This And I call a global experiment tongue-in-cheek. It was really hard for so many people. And what it's proven is what God has always said from the start. We were made for community, and without it, we cannot flourish. We begin to wither inside. When you look at Genesis 2.18, not much longer after God had created Adam, he looked at Adam living his life happy in the garden, And he made an observation. He said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It's the first time in the entire Bible narrative that something is declared not good. And the not good is the isolation of the first person he made. God's answer to that aloneness was to make a helper for him. And I know mostly we talk about this in the context of marriage, and a lot of people get hung up on the word helper, because when we in English use the word helper, that sounds like some sort of second-class subordinate assistant. At least that's the way we think of helpers. And yet what's so interesting is this is the only time that that word is used of a human being. In every other occurrence, it is used of God. In every other instance, that word helper is applied to God who says he is our help. He is our helper in time of need. We certainly don't think that God is a subordinate assistant, a second-class person who runs around like my sidekick. God is not the, the Robin to your Batman any more than the helpers around us are. When you hear the word helper, don't think secondary person psychic, think someone who has your back at all times and is a source of strength and refuge. That is what we are meant in the best case to be to each other. And that is who God promises to be to us. God's given us our families and our friends and our church to be his gift, his provision, so that we don't have to live our lives in isolation. I know that there comes a risk with that and that sometimes in that gift, we also receive hurt. It comes with the territory and it should never be trivialized. And yet the last two years have proven that for so many people, they would have preferred messy community to being alone. Because we know deep in our hearts, we were not made to live alone, even though that feels safer somehow a means to avoid the hurt others cause us, we find a different kind of pain in walking in isolation. It is a risky gift, but it is God's provision for us to get through this life in one piece, is that he has given us other people. The church is one important form of that community. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 
If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. That doesn't describe how it always feels or works, but that describes for us what we should be aiming for in this and in every church. I think one of the places that the church has failed, and I've been reflecting on this so much lately in my own life, not what you guys made me feel or anything like that, but where I fall short is that I think we have really missed the mark on what the Bible describes as friendship. We all long for a real friend, but I wonder if we understand just how high the bar is set in Scripture for what it means to be a friend. When we sang that old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, I wonder if we realize the depth theologically of that idea that God is our friend and he calls us to be friends to one another. It's one of the things I've said as a big goal for next year is to grow in my own understanding and practice of friendship, especially to those people God has given me in the inner ring of my heart. Those people I want to be standing by my bed when I take my last breath, those real deep, deep friends and family. I want to be a better friend. And that's part of what we're talking about in community is we have so much focus on how the community has affected us, but I'm asking you to receive community as God's gift of provision for you, a resource for you. Let's embrace this gift and lean into the people God gave us, even with the risks, and let's bring our very best to those relationships. That doesn't guarantee outcomes, but it tells us that it's one way we're going to fully receive what God has provided for our health and wellness day by day. Let's do better and learn not to give up on each other so quickly. God's given us another resource for every day to help us stay well, and that's spiritual immunity. You know, every day, just breathing air, I know we're, a lot of us are not wearing masks anymore, and maybe COVID is not what you're at risk of picking up, but every single day, you are exposed to icky stuff in our environment, right? Medical professionals, biologists, you all know, every day, you're just exposed to stuff. And if we didn't have an immune system, we would be completely at the mercy of everything that we touch, You can't live in a plastic bubble and have a meaningful life. That would be one way to avoid all that exposure, but that's not practical. So if you step outside and engage the world, you will face exposure to lots of things that could cause illness and infection and injury. And yet, one of God's provisions for our human body is an immune system that handles a great majority of that exposure for us. Our bodies all day long are clearing out things that can make us sick. But in spite of all that, some things still get through, don't they? And living in community is pretty much the same thing. I I would prefer sometimes in hurt to withdraw and isolate and live alone to avoid other people. It feels safer, but it's horrible, so I want to come back and engage. But when I do, it's so risky, it's so scary, isn't it, to open your heart Be vulnerable to expose your life to other people because you can't control what they say or what they do or how they think. It's risky to live in community. And if you choose to live in community, 
you will be exposed to things that will hurt and injure you. God has not left us helpless, though, in it. Just as he's given us a physical immune system, he's given us a a spiritual immune system. It's not foolproof. It can't block everything. But you'd be amazed if you took advantage of all the resources spiritually God has given us, really leaned into those things and practiced them, how much God has already provided for our daily mental, spiritual, and emotional well-being. One example is the power of forgiveness. Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Forgiveness is a neutralizing agent against offense and injury. Here's the truth. If I'm going to live among people, I cannot prevent exposure to offense and injury. I know that I've probably caused you offense and injury. I want you to know you've probably caused me offense and injury. That's just part of sinful, messy people living together. We can't help ourselves. Try as we might, even with the people we love the most. We injure and offend one another all the time. If you don't have a spiritual immune system, you will collect every infection, every injury from those and have no ability to do anything about them. And yet God has given us this supernatural resource, the power of forgiveness. And it can, that forgiveness cannot take away the offense. It can't make it not have happened. But it can take away its power. And the only way God could ever have the audacity to ask us to forgive others is because each one of us first has stood in that very place in front of him and received the same release. We've offended God all the time, and yet we continue to turn to him for help, and he allows it because he has pardoned us. And that experience of being released and forgiven, which each one of us has had, I've had it, some of you whom I've hurt have released me in the most gracious way. And I know we've all done that for other people, We can do that because God has first taught us how to do it. Here's what I'm really saying is that the capacity to forgive other people is not a natural immunity that we have within ourselves. It's an acquired immunity, just like you get when you get a booster or a vaccine. It is not an intrinsic ability within ourselves, but something we acquire because it was given to us. And unless you have truly understood and embraced the forgiveness of God through Jesus over you, you will not develop the true ability to forgive other people. But when you develop that capacity, it is incredibly powerful for handling the vast majority of offenses which we acquire and are exposed to living in community with other messy people. Man, you can go on and on. I, I, I realize this could be a sermon series in itself. I don't have the time for that. But God has given us, in addition to forgiveness, a wealth of spiritual resources meant to carry us through the everyday of life in a fallen and broken world. In Romans 15, 13, he gives us several of them. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, when I was younger, I would read verses like that and it just go, that just sounds like religious poems, like flowy words that have no real world meaning. Here's how I used to read it in my my head. 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy. And I just pictured some shallow person just la, 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 la. And I'm like, so what? The real world is icky and it's hurtful. How can words like that have any real power? And yet what he's saying is if you embrace the living God who reveals himself to you in the person of Jesus, in the words of scripture, if you really know this God, not just as an idea, but as a being, if you receive the gospel he holds out, real world benefits come to you. It actually changes your life experience in this flesh and blood world. There is a supernatural joy that can counter so much of the sadness and disappointment we gather in the course of walking through our messy world. There is a supernatural peace that can settle over us even when we're still in the heart of the chaos of life's storms. There is a supernatural hope which can keep us going for another day when despair wants to take over our spirit and make us quit on everything. It may not carry for more than a day, but a day is enough because his mercies are new every morning. This is not just fluffy religious language. It's a real world hope held out to us that to know this God who reveals himself to us brings tangible benefit to handle life in this world. At some point in faith, we have to accept that those words are true and lean into it and not dodge it or be skeptical because God wants us not just to know him up here, but to know him in the fiber of our being, to experience supernatural deliverance from things that want to crush us and to live to tell the story to others who are in that pain. This doesn't have to be the end of your story either. So much could be said on this. The bottom line is, though these resources can't protect us from everything, God has not left us helpless in the face of all the the junk that we have to encounter living in this world and among other messy people. Let's take a breath. I I need to. (laughs) I want to give you one last thing here. Spiritual vitality. The foundation of any wellness plan is proper nutrition. Eating too little or eating the wrong things, unhealthy things, are both harmful to us. And they lead to malnutrition, either undernourishment or inadequate poor nourishment. Jesus taught us that the word of God found in scripture is spiritual food. Sometimes you go see a doctor and say, what's wrong with me? And he'll say, you're just not drinking enough water or you need to eat better. I've had that. <laughs> I've gone to the doctor in my hypochondria because Jeannie knows. I'm always thinking I'm really sick, you know. And sometimes he goes, how are you sleeping? Are you eating well? Are you drinking enough water? And I, my, my self-care gets really negligent sometimes when I'm stressed or busy. And I realize that the beginning of wellness is not some incredible intervention The beginning of wellness is taking care of yourself to make sure that you have what life requires of you to function. And sometimes we spend months and months apart from the word of God and wonder why we feel so little energy in our spirit. It's not just sickness. Sometimes it's spiritual malnutrition. That's what it is. 
And what's, what's really interesting is Jesus goes on to say in John 6, 55 to 56, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. You know what he's saying there is it's not just the Bible, a book that delivers to you the word of God in your life, but the person of Jesus himself is the living word. He is the real food we eat. The words we read nourish our soul, but they point us to a real person with whom we are invited to commune every single day. I've shared with you openly that I'm passing through one of the hardest seasons of my ministry career, and a lifeline for me has been the daily time I spend with God, not just reading words, but being with Him. It feels very much like eating His presence. I don't know how else to describe it. It sounds so weird if you're not Christian. But being with Him every morning has fed me in a way that's hard to describe unless you've experienced it. And that's the invitation to each of us, not just to devote ourselves to the reading of a book, but to devote ourselves to the person whom that book reveals. It is the ultimate way that God has provided for us never to be alone. Let me end this way. In addition to the words of truth and the living word, God has given us beautiful, noble truths, healthy, godly ideas which we can dwell on by choice. I love what Paul writes in Philippians 4, 8 to 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. How many of you know that all over our world, toxic, unhealthy ideas are being offered 24-7? They're out there. People are breathing those toxic, unhealthy ideas to us, sometimes in the guise of advice. That stuff, it's so easy to dwell on. And sometimes we feel powerless under this avalanche of toxic ideas. And what Paul is reminding us is that we are not powerless here. We have some agency to choose what we think about and what we dwell on. It's one of the powers and benefits that come from meditation, from from intentionally Focusing our minds on what is good, what is right, what is true, to counteract the constant flood of toxic, unhealthy words and thoughts that bombard us all day long. This is not easy, but it is possible. And I've watched people I love fight to do this every day, and I see the difference it's making. People I care about who refuse to give in to the avalanche of junk that the world is throwing at them, that their own mind is throwing at them. Now listen, After having said all of that, the last thing I want you to hear is if you still are not well, it's your fault. Please don't hear that. That is not even close to what I'm saying. I'm saying that we'd be so much worse off if God had not given us these resources because every day we're exposed to far more than actually gets us sick. This is a gross world we live in. And yet God has not left us without resource. 
And every day He has given us things to lean into and to receive from Him. And yet, having said all of that, we should never underestimate the power of the world's darkness, the power of the darkness in us, and sometimes it all gets to be too much. And in spite of our best efforts, we succumb. It just conquers us. When that happens to us medically, what do we do? We immediately turn to someone who's equipped to help us. And I praise God that he has raised up people in our world who are so well-equipped to do the same. I want to invite my friend Sandy Ruger to come to the stage and take the next 10 minutes to share from her own heart. Dr. Ruger is the one who's going to be presenting. Come on up, Sandy. And she's going to be presenting our workshop this afternoon. But I wanted to hear for you to hear and just get to know who she is as a person, what story shaped her desire and conviction to work and live this way. Please give her your full attention. Let's give her a hand as she comes and takes the stage. So excited that the youth group stayed. Yay. Thanks. Um, gosh. Yeah. Pastor, uh, can you hear me? Pastor Dave asked me to just come and share a few words because I'll be, um, you know, I have this two-hour workshop, like 70 PowerPoint slides. But So I don't have any slides for you right now. I just really wanted to kind of share um, just from my heart why, um, why I'm doing what I'm doing and how God has worked in my life. Um, and it really fits so much with what you've shared, you know, this morning. But, um, and I have notes so that I only talk 10 minutes, because so, <laughs> otherwise I'll ramble. Um, but it was an analogy, an analogy of doing laundry. Typical of other college freshmen, I was feeling out of control and struggling with emotional turmoil over a boyfriend at the time. And my InterVarsity Christian Fellowship small group leader explained how God wanted to allow me, no, God wanted me to allow him to do my laundry for me. He wanted me to turn over all my dirty clothes, um, was even willing to fold them and put them away in my dresser, and um, emphasize that, um, you know, I didn't have to, you know, spot clean or do anything for him. Just turn it all over to him. And I'd been raised in a Christian home, the oldest daughter of, of an elder at a Korean church. So that's kind of a big thing. <laughs> it's kind of like being a pastor's kid. Um, but going to church, Sunday school weekly, memorized all my Bible verses. I knew that Jesus was my savior. But on that day, the laundry analogy Help me to understand the need for Jesus as my Lord, as well as my Savior. And so praying to receive Christ with my small group leader as Jesus as Lord of my life, not just Savior. If I would have died before, I think I would have been in heaven. But I had not walked day by day with Jesus, spending daily time with him, listening to him, and just being with him, and allowing him to guide my life in real ways. So praying to turn my life over to Christ as Lord more than 40 years ago, 
I was doing my math. I'm like, really? Has it been 40 years? That long since I was in college? So now you're all doing mental math right now. How old is that lady up there? <laughs> um, but it really allowed me to start a personal relationship with Jesus that I hadn't had in high school and that first few months of college. Um, mostly God opened the, my heart to a love that really transformed me. With each trial and challenge that God has led me through, he's been faithful to offer peace, as we talked about, a peace that passes understanding. And he weaves each of the painful experiences that I've had into this tapestry of beauty, which um, is my life, because he's weaving all of my experiences into my life. So, for example, early in my faith walk, um, God gave me this vision of healing during a time of meditation. Um, I didn't grow up in a charismatic church or anything like that, um, but um, it was just this really amazing experience. I was listening to Keith Green's, the 23rd Psalm, so some of you older folks know. Um, and actually, there, there's a new version. Surely goodness and mercy is an amazing version of the 23rd Psalm that my daughter listens to. It's very special. But I was listening, and God just gave me this vision of myself and my face. I was all cut and bruised. And um, I saw a vision of Jesus approaching me as the song played on. And he came and he touched my face. And with each stroke of his hands, the cuts disappeared, and they were healed. And so by the end of the song, when it goes, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will live um, in the house of the Lord forever. My vision was just Jesus and me walking in the meadow away with my face healed. And I thought, oh, my Lord, what was that? What are you saying to me? And that ended up being a promise that I just kept and claimed, a promise of healing that he was faithful to. And, um, you know, kind of like Pastor Dave's sermon, I could probably share quite a bit, but just um, the little snippets. I would say much of the healing started in college after I turned my life over to Jesus and allowed him to guide me. And I'm very aware of how much time I'm taking. But, you know, the things that um, God uses, he uses many instruments of healing. And some of the ones that Pastor Dave just mentioned, right? Scripture. God is the great physician and his word, his truth in my heart Um, helped me to think and see through his eyes. And there was healing in that. There was healing in his word. Um, Worship. So just that intentional focus on God and his attributes. When we do that, our automatic response is awe and fear, right? Um, But there was a song, another old song, um, by the Imperials, Yes, but let me, let, me, let me read the words, because it's really meaningful. The words, um, the song is praise the Lord. 
For those chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you that they drop powerless behind you when you praise him. And I remember that song just being a truth that, brought it, that God brought into my life that when I was struggling, you know, God might use, um, God might meet you in many different ways. It might be nature. It might be walking in nature where you meet God. Um, but for me, just worshiping and singing, God meets me in that place. And I found that um, when I focused on God, those things that were binding me just dropped powerless behind me. And then there's prayer, intercessory prayer. So we're praying for one another. Um, pray for one another so that you might be healed. Confess your sins. Pray for one another, right? Um, I also experienced healing through something called Emmanuel prayer, which is healing prayer. It's this prayer where you invite Jesus into these places of hurt, and you ask him to just come and bring healing into those places. And I could just share so much more just about that. But there's so much power in prayer. And then community, which Pastor Dave has shared about, and I don't have to say any more, that God has called us to be in community. And um, as we share openly with one another, love one another, and support one another, carrying each other's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ, um, there's healing. But I want you to know there are other ways that God brought healing. So not just these spiritual Christian practices, that he used therapy. And I've seen actually multiple therapists over my time, and it has been actually a wonderful experience being in these relationships where I'm just accepted, I can share openly and unpackage things that I haven't been able to share with others and um, just try and make sense of things. Um, I was going to share about my dysfunctional family, but you want me to do that? Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'll end with this. So um, as I began to learn about the impact of my family on who I was at the time as a young adult, and, you know, as a child growing up, um, it was through InterVarsity, actually. You know, it's a large group. You'd hear lectures and, you know, things like that. And, um, you know, dysfunctional family comes from the addiction literature back, like, 40, 50 years ago. So an alcoholic family is dysfunctional. But I actually think about it as... Um, families who don't function the way God intended when he created us. So in a lot of ways, we're all from dysfunctional families, right? <laughs> and so um, I found it really freeing to be able to see the ways that my family was not functioning the way God intended and, and how I was hurt by that. So, um, for instance, I knew that my parents loved me. They would do anything for me. But I also didn't go to them when I was needing help or support. And part of that was this language barrier because, um, you know, an immigrant family, um, we didn't talk about emotional things, which I'll talk about this afternoon. Um, but also just being a Christian family, um, you know, my mom, you know, well-intentioned would come with Bible verses, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. And that's a really special life verse for our family. But when I was wanting someone to be with me in this time of distress and just sadness, um, those words came up empty in that moment. Not that God's truth can't bring healing, but sometimes you just need someone 
and at that t- and those moments my parents to be with me, and they weren't. Um, but God has brought healing in those places, so there's good news there. But I just wanted to share that um, just the same way that I, um, well, actually, when I found out that I was, we were dysfunctional, I would go home and share it with my family, and <laughs> they weren't so happy to hear that. <laughs> in fact, my brother, who was six years younger than me, so he would have been like in middle school if I was in college, right? He got really mad and defensive. He's like, we're not dysfunctional. I'm like, Okay. Six years later, when he went to college and was in university, he figured out how dysfunctional we were. <laughs> and he came back, he's like, Sandy, you're right. I'm like, I know. <laughs> but anyways, it's just really freeing to just you know, acknowledge that things are not right and to talk about it and to just bring those things to the Lord and to bring them to each other. And so I wanted to share the same way that I found that excitement and wanting to share the good news that we were a dysfunctional family and there's freedom. Um, that's why I'm here, to share that, you know what? We're all from dysfunctional families. Um, but there's freedom and there's healing. And um, so I invite you to um, join us this afternoon to learn more about the ways that God can bring healing beyond the, our Christian practices. So we'll be talking about emotional and relational health, so starting with the good stuff that God intends for us, and then talking about you know, when things don't go so well. What are some of the challenges? And I'll actually focus on depression. You, you mentioned anxiety. That's really important, too. I'm going to focus on depression. And, and then talk about a couple different forms of therapy, just to kind of give you an inside peek. And I have some family photos to give you an inside peek of my family, too. So anyway, so I welcome you to come. And can I just say, I was reading here that there's lunch and a little $5 donation. Can we pay for that? We'd really love to cover that because you know what? The, um, it's a generous donation from um, uh, a private um, funder. So we have a grant that's supporting this workshop this afternoon. And um, we, we really have some funds to um, treat you all to lunch. So, yeah, so don't, don't text the money to Zell or anything, okay? All right. Thank you all. Thank you. Thanks, Sandy. I, I hope that um, that helps you kind of feel who is going to be leading us this afternoon. At least half of you are registered. If you do want to join us, just please let Pastor Stan know you're coming, and we don't have enough food ordered um, for the people who didn't register yet, but if you want to grab something quick on the way, um, that's totally cool. And usually we order enough food that if you don't have time for that, just walk up to your neighbor's plate and just stare, and then they'll give you half their sandwich. I'm sure we're a very loving church. <laughs> we always end up with leftover food after every meeting anyway, so just come. If you really feel like you need to hear this, we invite you to come, please. We're going to start at 12.15, and it's going to start with a time of filling out a survey, which is a really important piece of the research that Sandy and her team are doing. That's one way we're going to show our gratitude to them, is by helping them with that research. And then we're going to run until about 2.30 to 2.45, with a short five-minute break intermission in the, in the halftime. So please be aware of that and make allowances in your schedule for it. Uh, just join me for a word of prayer as the praise team gets ready to close us out.
I want to pray for us. God, we want to thank you for the many ways that you have provided in the everyday. So we walk through a world full of prickliness and brokenness, exposed every day to things that injure and offend. As much of that darkness also lives inside of each of us, and we knowingly or unknowingly do the same things to other people, causing hurt. God, we thank you that you have not left us alone and powerless in this life's journey. For those who have not fully received this provision from you, awaken us, Lord, to the many ways you've already equipped us to get through this life. For those who, despite their best efforts, are just overwhelmed right now, they, there's nothing left they can do. God, carry them. Meet them exactly where they are in this place of helplessness and show them your great power. Show them your mercy and love. For those who cannot walk, God, we pray you will pick them up and carry them until they can. We pray ahead of time for the workshop this afternoon that it would be a revelation for us. And it would be a ray of hope for those who are feeling hopeless. And it would equip those of us who walk with others who are hurting to not add to their pain, but help them carry their burden. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.